This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Georgia Swarm are 4-0. and It's only week six, but we're already seeing some early season slumps. Saturday night was a record night for Jeff Shatler in a Calgary Roughnecks jersey. Plus, we'll recap all the games from last week and set you up for this week. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. As always, I'm your illustrious host, Teddy Jenner. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Plenty to talk about this week. Uh, We had some fantastic lacrosse games over the weekend, and we'll Kind of break down each game a little bit, talk about each one, and uh, we'll get you set up for the four games this week in week six, which all starts on Friday. And um, you know, we're getting into a part of the year where we're at the quarter pole, um, or actually the the third pole. Doesn't have the same ring to it. The third way mark, you know, doesn't quite go. Anyway, we're a third of the way through the season, and. We haven't really seen anybody fall too far behind. Obviously, out east, with the Swarm being 4-0, uh, the Black Wolves and Bandits all being 1-3, and it leads to, you know, a little bit of a gap, um, but not that much when you think of that New England and Buffalo just need to catch Rochester for third place. And they're in a playoff spot. But then again, the top two teams from the East last year are last currently. Three games out of first place. But again, just one game out of a playoff spot. And again, still early days. But you have to start wondering about how long do you go as a general manager or as a head coach before you make any drastic changes. Now, it's been a year of injuries, uh, suspensions already. And so, as a general manager, you have to juggle all those things that come your way, whether they be injuries or suspensions or um, personal leaves of absence or what have you. And sometimes teams can bounce back from it. And sometimes teams can't handle it. You know, we saw that with both sides of the coin with the Rochester Nighthawks. No Jamison, no Vitarelli. Dan Dawson goes down. They lose a couple games. Then they get Jammer back. They get Dawson back. And they win. Now, we're going to talk about Cody Jamison in a minute. But it's just interesting to see how teams can rally around having different players back in the lineup. And that was a huge win for Rochester. They avoid going one and three. And they keep Toronto within their sights. Georgia's still sitting at the top, which is just incredible to see. And I, again, just continue to hope people will flood that arena 
sooner or sooner than later. But we won't talk about that this week. I'm going to stay away from that topic this week. I'm going to stay away from attendance numbers and announce sellouts and all that stuff. Because I want this to be a happy week for as best we can. But at West, everything as, as always is, is super tight. Two games from top to bottom. Calgary at 3-1. and one, Vancouver at 2-4. and four. Crazy stat. Not even a stat, but just crazy information. The Roughnecks have played four games. There's three and one. But their four games have come against Vancouver and Colorado. They started at home. They lost. And then they've won three straight. And they're playing some of the best lacrosse that I've seen them play. And they've only played two teams. We're going to talk to Jeff Shatler a little bit later in the podcast. And I'll ask him how that sets and sits with the club. Because, yeah, you're 3-1, and one, but you've only played two teams. And the good side of all that is that the two teams that they've played are in their division. And they've already won the season series with Colorado now. They can take the season series from Vancouver in a few weeks. And they'll finally get their first taste of Saskatchewan this weekend before they finally play a row, uh, an Eastern team. And that's in two weeks' time when they'll host their good friends, the Toronto Rock. Calgary in the midst of a four-game homestand that spans the 28th of January all the way to February 18th. But they're atop the West right now. And... When you look at, you know, obviously it didn't get off to the grade of, of starts when they lost the van- that Vancouver game, but they've really sort of buckled down, found their feet, and they've earned themselves a full-game lead on the Saskatchewan rush. Could be two full games if they're able to defeat them at home this weekend at the Saddledome. Which, I, I kind of feel they might. It's been a long time since Calgary's beat Saskatchewan slash Edmonton. And it was funny because in the early days of the rivalry, when the Rush first came to town, I think the Rush had only won once in a decade or something like that. It wasn't a very good number. One of the wins came when Cam Bergman took a ball off a faceoff, took a shot on Palador. He makes a save. It spins off the ground, hits Andrew Beers in the leg, and goes over the goal line with .6 seconds left. It was the first time Edmonton had beaten Calgary, and we did it in Calgary. It was insane. And leading up to the past few years, the Rush hadn't beaten the Roughnecks. And the Roughnecks have kind of been on the losing end of a lot of those battles in the past few years. Something tells me that this game will be a little bit different. Not sure why, but I just have a feeling that on Saturday night, we're going to see the Roughnecks come out with a big win and further launch themselves ahead in the West. The only team we haven't talked about out West is the Colorado Mammoth, and they're on a two-game losing streak. 
They lost at home to Calgary and then lost on the road to the Roughnecks, losing the season series. They still play them one more time. But it's odd to see a team this early in the season having a tired roster. Now, I don't know what it is, um, but two weeks ago in Colorado, um, the Mammoth defense looked tired. And give the credit to the Calgary Roughnecks. They were pushing the tempo. They were getting second and third opportunities on the offensive side of the ball and keeping the Mammoth defense out on the floor, which is tend to cause players to get tired. But we're only in you know week four at this point in time, and you're already seeing guys with hands on knees, hands on hips, taking extra breaths, maybe hiding a little bit on the bench, trying to catch themselves. And then this past weekend, again, they just didn't seem to have it. They were down 5-2 after the first quarter. And time and time again, they're finding themselves down early in contests. And you can't do that. You can't put yourself behind the eight ball in the National Lacrosse League and expect to win. The odd time you'll be able to come back, you'll get momentum back in your side. However, some leads are too much to make up, or some deficits, I guess, are too much to make up. Uh, Dylan Ward's been pulled in his last two starts. When was the last time he said that? So it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend when the Georgia Swarm come to town. Do they stick with Dylan Ward? Do they maybe give Alex Bouquet the go? Vancouver gave Ty Belanger the start this past weekend, his first as a Vancouver Stealth. Sure, it was the second game of back-to-backs, but Vancouver started the year 2-0 and are quickly 2-4. So what do you say about them? If if Colorado's gone in a bit of a bit of a slump here, losing two straight, and the fact that the Vancouver Stealth are the highest scoring team in the National Lacrosse League, however, surprise surprise, they're also giving up the most goals. They sure they played six games already. But this is a team that's been known. They have defensive issues, give up a lot of goals. They will always score a lot of goals. They have the top two scorers in Reese Dutch and Corey Small right now, Small leading the way. But you can't keep trying to win in these shootouts. It's just not going to do your team any good. These running gun games, sure, they're fast and exciting, great for fans to watch. Like, I'm, I'm loving the, ty- the the style of games that the Vancouver Stelves are playing. And every game that they've been in has been an absolute shootout. 12-11, 15-9, 14-10, 21-15, 16-12, and 14-12. Like, those are great lacrosse games. But they've lost three straight, sorry, four straight, and they've given up at least 14 in all four of those games. 
when the first two games that they won, they didn't give up more than 11. They've welcomed some bodies back in the lineup out of the front end. James Ray got into his first game, um, and he scored his first goal. Congratulations to the Langley native. Uh, Garrett Billings was back in the lineup in the past couple weeks. And I'm not saying it's affected their offense, but something has shifted in this team. Maybe they got a little too cocky after those first two weekends. You know, maybe... They go into Calgary, take a road win, fly down to Colorado first thing the next morning, get a road win. They're top of the West, 2-0. Drinks are being bought. High fives are being thrown. All is right in Stealthland. And then with a flick of a switch, they're back to the bottom of the standings. Can that ship be righted? I think it can. They get a week off. They get to prepare, and then the Colorado Mammoth come to the LEC for a Sunday afternoon. Sorry, for a Sunday evening game. So used to Sunday afternoon games. It's actually Sunday evening, and that's a massive game because if they win that game, they break the the snide. If they win that game, they take the series in series from the Mammoth. Well, sorry, they'd play the Mammoth two more times, so they'd at least get a split in the series if they win that game. But if they lose that game, then now it's five straight. They can drop a further, you know, game and a half, two games back of the Mammoth. And then panic can really start to set in. But I just don't know where people would go unless you're going to be making some major trades. But where are you going to go and find guys? That's how close this league is right now. Is that I don't think there's a lot of trades to be made at this point in time. There's possibilities. Of course, there's always possibilities. But I just don't know that, you know, if Buffalo drops to one and four, if there's a move for Steve Dietrich to make. What's Rich List going to do in New England if they drop to one and four? So, you know, we'll have to wait and see as time goes on, as always. That's always a deciding factor, time. However, with injuries mounting up and, you know, guys moving up and down off the practice roster, um, we're still waiting to find out what's going to happen with Greg Harnett's suspension. Um, I haven't, it's been a week since that's happened. Uh, the ruling came out Thursday. If you hadn't heard, um, mostly because you're living under a rock again, uh, Greg Harnett received a six game suspension resulting from the match penalty that occurred during the game in Colorado two weeks ago. The hit, which was, away from the boards, what appears to be shoulder-to-shoulder, sent Jeremy Noble crashing into the boards. Noble didn't play the rest of the game. He didn't play last weekend. Um, The referees, after talking, felt that it deserved a match penalty. 
He was ejected from the game. And because that was Greg's second match penalty of the year, including the preseason game where he got the match penalty for the hit on Jeff Cornwall, he got a one-game suspension for the match penalty. And then he got another five games for it being his second match of the year, which totals six games. Now, Calgary and the PA, obviously, appealing the suspension. So Greg played last week. But we'll have to wait and see what happens this week um, with the review committee. Uh, They've talked to numerous parties involved just to try to get a grip on the thing and a handle on it. In my opinion, I don't think that it's a match penalty. Now, we should probably take a look at the wording on some of these rules so that we can get a clear identity of what they're going to be looking at. Now, rule 74 is the boarding rule. And it says, a boarding penalty shall be assessed on any player who causes an opponent to be thrown violently into the boards. The onus is on the player who is applying the check to ensure his opponent is not in a vulnerable position, and if so, he must avoid contact. However, there is also onus on the player, on the other player, not to put himself in a dangerous position. This balance must be considered by the officials when applying this rule. The league may, at their discretion, review any penalty under this rule. So, we go to 74.4, which is the match penalty for boarding. The referee, at his discretion, may assess a match if, in his judgment, the player or goalkeeper was reckless or endangered his opponent by boarding. So, was the hit by Greg Harnett violent enough, because that's the word that they use in the actual definition, who causes an opponent to be thrown violently into the boards. Now, it could have been 30 feet away from the boards, but because of the the amount of the contact that was made between Greg Harnett coming in full speed and an upstream swimming Jeremy Noble, the the impact of that collision and from Harnett hitting Noble, who was on balance yet kind of off balance and saw to an extent um, Harnett coming, the hit sent him into the boards. Now, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't the worst hit I've ever seen. It's probably one of the cleanest hits you're going to see. But as the rule says, causes an opponent to be thrown violently into the boards. Noble went flying, like off the ground, a full five and a half, six feet, and he landed into the boards in a very dangerous position. And he's very lucky that it wasn't worse with how he fell. But if they're taking that into account, then by their definition, it could be considered a match penalty. Again, I don't think it was. But because of the word violently, how Noble went into the boards was pretty violent. And not, again, not in a savage, malicious way, but just the impact of him going into the boards. It was violent. So when you look back at it, I just don't think it was worthy of a match. So if they do review it and they go back and say, you know what, even if they say give him a major for it, or I 
a two-minute minor and take back the match penalty, then he doesn't get the extra five games. And he wouldn't get the first game suspension because it's not a match. So you could take that whole suspension and wipe it clean off the board. The question is, will it happen? Because you have to rescind the first major for the second part of the suspension to be stricken from the record as well. And with the National Lacrosse League really trying to be a proponent of player safety and Jeremy Noble being injured in that position and not having played last weekend, that might play into it. And if they do consider it a major, then the rest of the suspension, sorry, I keep saying major, if they do consider it a match, then the second part of the suspension stands. So it's a very interesting time for the National Cross League Safety Board Committee or Review Committee. Here's a side caveat, and it just kind of lends itself to the history between these two clubs. Carson Young is still not playing. And it's unsure if he'll come back this year because he is still still feeling effects from that hit. And I know they don't they one doesn't affect the other, but from a Calgary standpoint, it does because they lost the player for an entire almost a year and he's not playing now. And Bouquet got nothing. And yet, Greg Harnett makes this hit, and he gets a game plus five. I I just don't know what they're going to do. Because it all hinders on whether they rescind the original match penalty. The match penalty from the preseason game, I... Didn't think it was match-worthy either. So, And that's a conversation for another day. But like I said, it's going to be something I'm going to keep my eye on um, when the league's disciplinary email comes out this week to see uh, what they do with Greg Harnett. So we'll keep you posted as best you can. Uh, Speaking of Calgary, it was a record-setting night at the Saddle Dome, when it was Star Wars night. And Jeff Shatler was tied with Caleb Toth going into the game, needing just one point for the record. And here is Jeff Shatler. Shatler has Doby to the net, tries a shot, scores! Jane Doby with a pretty one, 4-1 Roughnecks. I didn't think he had the room down there. Yeah, Doby gets loose just a little bit, a bit of a shuck and jive. And puts it behind Ward. A nice a shot here from Doby. And Doby coming over to tap Shatler on the head. It was a nice feed from number 77. And 44 finds himself wide open. Uh, that's the kind of chemistry you only get by playing pretty much a decade together as these two men have. And again, we've 
seen these two guys grow up together here as a member of the Roughnecks, and now they're starting to set all sorts of records when it comes to the team record books. That was point six hundred and twenty-nine in a Roughnecks jersey for Jeff Shatler. And with that assist, he breaks the franchise mark of 628, set by Caleb Toth, his former teammate and captain. And what a night it was. And it was a special night for him, for the Roughnecks organization, and really helps cement Jeff Shatler's legacy, I think, in the National Lacrosse League. And it's funny to think that in 2011, he was a first-team All-Star, he was Transition Player of the Year, and an MVP. And I don't think enough people give him credit. And maybe it's because he's not as flashy as Dixon, or as antagonistic as Dane Doby, or even as, you know, prolific as Sean Evans was in his time. Jeff Shadler is just a quiet assassin and just goes out there, gets the job done, brings his helmet to work, and he has a gas tank that just never ends. And I got a chance to watch him when he was with the Victoria Shamrocks, and I've called his games, um, called a bunch of his games for a number of years, and he just continues to impress with his work ethic, his desire to be the best, and the fact that he is okay with not being the guy. And sure, he's been in the league now for 11 years, originally drafted by Buffalo. But since he's been in Calgary, he's just continually seen his star rise. And last year he had 87 points. It was a career season for him. And you just look at him and you think, he doesn't look like the most imposing guy out there. But he's got an incredible first step. He has lightning fast hands. And he just is so smart on the lacrosse floor. And earlier on Tuesday, I was able to catch up with him, have a great chat with him. And the first thing I asked him at 3-1, and one, are the Roughnecks happy with their start to the season? Uh, we are. We are. We're uh, very happy where our team's uh, headed this season. Uh, we didn't have the greatest start in the first game. So uh, we were playing from behind most of the game. And Vancouver's a good team, so you can't let them uh, get up on you early. So that was our downfall in the first game. But it seems that our last three games we've been playing – with uh, you know, a lot of uh, of spunk, uh, we got come up with a great start, and we've had the lead in the last three games, and we haven't lost it. So we uh, we're playing pretty well. That first game, it, you talked about being down early, and we don't want to put all the weight on Christy Del Bianco. But do you think a lot of that had to do with having a young goalie making his first start in the National Cross League? Oh, most definitely. I think it was everybody that was nervous, yeah. even myself included. Uh, you know, in our first game, us being. Uh, uh, first game in the, in the, of the season, I know it took me up until about the third quarter before I got going, and, and a, a lot of our guys too. And Del Bianco is a young guy, but he's a competitor, and he uh, he understands what it takes to uh, be a great goalie in this league, and I think he's going to have a lot of great years in him uh, coming up in his uh, career. You guys have played four games. Crazy enough, it's only been against two teams. You've done back-to-backs with Vancouver and Colorado. Now you finally get to see somebody else in Saskatchewan this weekend, your arch-rivals. How, how nice is it to finally play a different team? Um, you know what? Those are the first four games, huge um, you know, conference teams. Uh, we had to win these games. Like We could lose the game in the East, but 
uh, you can't lose to teams in the West. So mm-hmm. um, those are massive games, and especially if you want to get out in front on the West side, um, you know, the, it was it was a huge start for us. So now we get to start playing teams from the East, and I think we're uh, I think we're ready for the league. Uh, I know Georgia. I can't wait to play those guys. They're they're yeah. really hot. So they're probably the hottest team now. All right now. So I'm pretty excited for. Uh, the way it's going to turn out, and, and uh, see what our team actually has when we get, uh, you know, we get playing against one of the, like the top teams, like Buffalo and and uh, and Atlanta, Georgia. You guys are in a bit of a stretch of four games in a row at, at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. It's it's nice to be able to play in front of the hometown fans. How important is it to win those home games for you guys? Uh, you never want to lose at home. Not only for your fans, you know, for the city. Um, you, you, it's good for your team. It's good for your confidence when you. You're winning at home. You should never want to or never uh, lose at home. I find, and uh, teams that can win at home on a 90 to 80 percent basis usually go pretty far in the playoffs because you know home court advantage is huge in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. You always want to play at home, so that's the that's the big thing. And nine games come at home, and and if you could pull those off and win half on the road, you know you're having a great season. Are, are you one of those guys that hates winning than the more, more than you like winning, or hates losing more than you like winning? Oh, most definitely. No, no, uh, no, no athlete likes to lose. So uh, if they said that they did, they're lying to you. So, um, <laughs> you know, I hate losing, and we love to win. Uh, and uh, in Calgary, and we've had a winning attitude here for years. In the last couple of years, we've got away from it. But it seems like we have that good old feeling from 2009, where all our teams clicking, and we got some great players, some great young guys. So, pretty excited to see what, where, where our team's going to go. Is it hard to believe that you've been in this league for for 10 plus years? Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It is. I, I came in being one of the youngest guys, and now I'm one of the oldest. And you know, I, I guess with uh, with age comes experience. So, you know, uh, just trying my best to keep up with the young guys now and try to stay in the best shape possible. Because uh, you know, I love this game and I want to keep playing it. So, um, you know, I, I think I got a couple good years left in me still, and I'm excited to uh, be a part of Calgary's uh, franchise right now. You've always been a guy that's had a never-ending gas tank. I remember when you first came in the league, uh, people were saying that they could put you out for a five-minute shift and, and you would never tire. Where did that unending energy come from? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I'd have to see my dad. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm not too sure. I have no idea. Yeah. I've always been a cross-country runner. But, um, yeah, I know when I was younger, I, I could uh, put the jets on for a while. I, I'm starting to feel a little bit more, especially when you guys yeah. get older. but. Um, you knew that was going to happen sooner or later, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I still feel like I got a lot left in the tank for, uh, my, in my career. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to just play in Calgary for my entire uh, career. Having been in Calgary your entire career, you got to watch Caleb Toast up close and personal and, and saw what he did and saw how he led and, and, and was instrumental to everything the Roughnecks did in Calgary. How emotional was it for you and special was it for you to, to break his all-time career point record for Calgary? A uh, very special moment, um, especially because I had my wife in the stands uh, mm-hmm. and, and my father had flown in from Toronto, so people were pretty excited for me to do it. Um, I, I was tied up in Colorado, so I knew that you know there was a really good chance that I was going to break it on Saturday. And just to have my family and my wife's family all there for support, it felt great to do it at home in front of our fans as well. So it was just a great night all around, and, and uh, it was uh, uh, it was just a great feeling just having everybody that I care about there. 630 points and counting. Did you ever think you would get that many? Uh, no, not in my <laughs> first couple of years because uh, I, I, I was a defender, so I never thought yeah. that 
I would get up there in that, that aspect. But, you know, I had a coach that, Troy Cornley, that moved me up forward because uh, he saw the potential of me scoring goals. And, and uh, he gave me a chance up front, and uh, they've kept me up there ever since. Who Who's the more tenacious coach, Cornley or Mouse? Uh, they both uh, are different in, in their ways, but uh, yeah. they're both, uh, you know, they, they love the game so much, and they're very, very, uh, I don't know, they're very intense coaches, uh, both in their different ways. Uh, one's more in your face, and another guy's more of a, a, a player's coach. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, both great coaches, I think, two of the best coaches I've ever had. And, uh, you know, I'm happy that I got to learn from these guys because they taught me a lot. And probably the reason why I'm still in the league today. Uh, you haven't missed too many games. What's been your secret to longevity in this league? Uh, I guess no fear. Um, once, <laughs> yeah. you, once you go in there with a little bit of, uh, if you're timid going into the corners, that's usually when you get hurt. Um, that's what I've always been taught when I was a young age. So you try to go in there with no fear and see what, see what happens. You never want to, uh, you never want to get hurt in any game, right? But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I guess that would be it. You, uh, you're one of the few guys that doesn't use shooting strings in your stick. How come you went back to the old school ways? I actually had my buddy Chuck. I, I ran a, a lacrosse camp out in the Nanaimo area, Duncan, actually. Yeah. And uh, he was using his stick, and he showed it to me. He said, why don't you take a shot with this stick? So I immediately I took it, went bar down. So I said, okay, I'll trade you my <laughs> stick for this one. Yeah, and I've been using that ever since. And Brian being a... Um, a product of Warrior, I was able to mm-hmm. use it. Um, so that was huge. And he's got two more coming in for me right now as you speak. And, yeah, they're they're incredible sticks. I just find that the mesh never uh, softens, and it's always the exact same. So I finally – it only took uh, 12 years to figure out what <laughs> stick I like. But, yeah, I finally got a good stick that, is, uh, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to beat. Well, you had a career year last year. 87 points and 57 assists, both career highs for you. Um, Obviously, you're looking to build on that success, but how important is it to be a feeder for you in that very potent Calgary offense? Uh, I've always found myself as a passer rather than – I'll usually pass before I shoot, and uh, I've always prided myself on that. I find if you're you're, uh, a dangerous passer, then they have to respect the pass, and if you're a dangerous shooter at the same time, they don't know what you're going to do. So you really want to – throw defenders off, um, but uh, most people know that I like to pass before I shoot. I, I always found setting up a beautiful goal is better than scoring one, so I've always been a team guy that way. If you had to describe Dane Doby's style of play, how would you describe it? Dane Doby, gritty, man. He's uh, one of the best in the, in the best in the league by far, uh, one of my best buds, and I couldn't, I couldn't say much more about that guy. Like He's just an awesome wow. team guy best guy in the room for uh, off the floor and he'd do anything for you on the floor um, and he'll go to the net hurt or not so he's one of the best players that I've ever seen play and I got the pleasure to play with him and me and him have uh, played together for what 10 years now so mm-hmm. we, we don't even have to say much when we're on the floor we already know what we're going to do so uh, it's good that you have that kind of player that you don't have to worry about uh, what he's going to do you already know what he's going to do You've got a few more games before you get ready for uh, the rush coming to town. What's the message from head coach Kurt Miloski as you guys prepare for, for a big divisional matchup? Uh, playing against those guys, I, it's been a while since we beat those guys. And they're a great team. So I think that's where we'll find out exactly where we are this season uh, when we play those guys. They, they're a dominant team. They didn't show it in the first two games, but that doesn't mean anything for those guys. Um, you know, All you got to do is make the playoffs. They're, they're an exceptional team. I, still, I think they're 
they're still in the top top teams in this league by far. Um, they've purchased the last two years, so um, it's a, it's going to be a great uh, stepping stone if we could uh, beat those guys here at home, and, and that's what we want to do. We want to prove to these guys that you know years in the past, yes, they they, they did have us. Uh, they were a better team, but uh, we've done we've done some great things on the off season. So I think our team is faster, stronger, and younger. So I think we're gonna we're gonna give them a go. Is there any bad blood left over from that preseason game? You think, or is that all water under the bridge? Ah, lacrosse, everything's always water yeah. under the bridge. Everybody's all <laughs> everybody's all friends. So it doesn't really matter what uh, how you uh, how the game goes. Usually after games, everyone's good buddies, right? So mm-hmm. as you know yourself, so. Um, yeah, there's no bad blood. It's just part of the game, and tensions rise, and guys get upset. It's lacrosse, so everyone's. If you don't, if you're not upset at a lacrosse game, well, then you're not doing your job. Uh, a great attitude, as always, my friend. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, congratulations on breaking the record and continued success, and good luck this weekend. Thank you very much. There he is, Jeff Shatler, of the Calgary Roughnecks, the new all-time leading point getter in a Roughnecks jersey, and. I think he's got a few more than two years left in his career. I think he can go another three to four. Even if he moved back to a transition role, I think he could last in this league. Again, 2011, first-team All-Star, transition player of the year, MVP of the entire National Lacrosse League. Now, I've mentioned that he was a transition player of the year. The boys running both ways this year have gotten off to an incredible start. You can probably go down each team's roster and pick a guy that's scoring above where he's been in the past. From Justin Salt, Joey Capito, Jeff Cornwall out west, um, to Steve Priolo in the east. That guy is on an absolute tear right now. And it's scary what he is doing from the transition role this year. He had six points two weeks ago. He had another three goals this weekend. When you look at their scoring, he's fifth on their team in scoring with 11 points. That's just crazy. Sorry, he had two goals this past weekend. Sure, it's... You know, it's a big jump for him. He's maybe a point-per-game kind of guy, but he's got eight points in his last two games. When you look at, you know, Jeff Cornwall, the guy just keeps on scoring. And another shift by Matthews. Really good hustle on the back check there to break that up. Cornwall with a chip, shoots it, scores! Hat-trick, Jeff Cornwall. Have you ever said that before? Jeff Cornwall with a hattie. Well, John Fraser, my pantaloon-saying friend, no, you have never said that before. The most Cornwall had ever scored in a goal was two, and that was, I think, back in 2011 when it was the Edmonton rush against the Rochester Nighthawks. That was his third goal of the night. It was the game winner against Vancouver as the rush would go on to win it by a few And get their second straight win. Uh, but it, it's it's awesome to see the transition guys running the floor more and getting more involved in the scoring because 
That's the exciting part of the game. And not that other parts of the game aren't exciting, but when you see guys running the floor from their own end, picking up loose balls, running past guys, head manning the ball, getting involved in transition, making a concerted effort to be a part of that transition game. You know, guys like Damon Edwards and Tyson Bell, these are guys that, you know, want to move the ball up the floor and be a part of the action. And they all have the green light, and they all continue to run. But, you know, the transition game was my specialty. It's what I love to do. But I don't think they get all the credit because, you know, it's a make-or-break position. If you run that ball up the floor and you make an ill-advised pass or a bad shot or turn the ball over and it goes in the other way and ends up in the back of your net— you look the fool. But if you can go down and make a great play and score a goal or, or create a goal, then it's all helmet taps and high fives. But just look at the transition guys that are scoring. I mentioned Justin Salt. Uh, Brad Self is the reigning transition player of the year. Alex Keto Hill has four along with Selfer. Uh, we mentioned Cornwall's got four. Craig England has three. There's a bunch of guys with two, including Chris Corbeil, Peter McFetridge, uh, Thomas Hogarth, Adrian Sorchetti has a pair. Like Guys are putting the ball in it, and it's great to watch because that's the speed of the National Lacrosse League. Five-on-five five sets are great, but the reason it's the fastest game on two feet is because the guy's going from back to front. And I love to see the boys putting the ball in the back of the net, on the run, in transition. Uh, Jordan Gillies scored a fantastic goal uh, two weekends ago on the run where he picked the top corner. Uh, sorry, no, it was this past weekend in Calgary. On the run, uh, picked the top corner. And if you're a young transition player, or you're a, a guy that wants to play transition, you don't always have to get right on top of the goaltender. Sometimes the best shot to take is that shot on the run from you know, 15, 20 feet out that catches the goalie stepping back or catches him stepping out of his crease. Because if you catch the goalie on the move, he's not set. It's harder for him to react. And some of the goals these guys are putting in the back of the net on the run are, are just fantastic. Another guy that does a lot of things really well on the run is Cody Jamison. And we hadn't seen Jammer all year long. And it was... Unknown when we would. He wrote that impassioned letter to the Rochester Nighthawks fans telling them that he was doing everything he was doing to get back onto the floor. He was making it his sole focus to put back on the teal and purple. Get back out there. Help his team win. And when I saw the release that they had activated Cody Jamison, I was dumbfounded. Because he's back way too soon for my liking. He hasn't had surgery. The reports were during the summer that he had a torn ACL. And that's generally at least five and a half, six months recovery time if you get surgery. Now, if you don't get surgery and you play with a brace, you're never, ever really going to feel as comfortable as you are, even with that brace on. Because it's always going to sit in the back of your head. But the warrior that Cody Jamison is, he said, you know what? 
I'm going to give it a go. And he suited up in Toronto. And for the first five minutes, everything was good. Jameson receives on the right wing. Jameson trying to center up. One for the quick pass. Scores. Wow. Cody Jameson thread the needle right on the crease line to the right of Nick Rose. And it is 2-0 Rochester. Well, Jameson's already had an impact. Two assists. This one's the nicer one for sure as he finds young Curry, Josh Courier on the crease. I tell you, it's amazing how a guy like Jameson could be inserted in the lineup to make such a difference. Just he is like the that. quarterback of this team. Just like that. Yes, Mr. McNamara, just like that. However, that would be the last we'd hear from Cody Jamison as a few minutes later, he'd backtrack into his own zone, playing reverse transition defense, sit out there for a D-shift, chase a loose ball up towards his bench, make an awkward plant, and you saw him come up limp, makes his way off the floor, and we don't see him the rest of the game. Now, there are some speculative tweets and reports going around that he's done his knee again. And they're just waiting for a final prognosis from doctors. Uh, I talked to Cody a bit. Um, hopefully, he's going to join us next week on the show uh, and give us a bit of a more detailed account and a better breakdown. But if he is done and he you know, further injured his knee. Then I ask, what's the point? Why was he out there? You know, he came back for the Man Cup and he dressed those first couple games. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, look at the warrior spirit and Cody. He just wants to see new. And I get that. But now he's possibly done further damage to his knee and if it's unrepairable, like, it could be career-ending. Knock on wood, let's hope not. Because the league needs Cody Jamison. And I understand, you know, you're a team needing a spark. You're getting Dawson back. Now you add Cody Jamison back. And everything seems to be trending upward for the Nighthawks. And yeah, you win the game but you, in a sense, lost the battle if Cody Jameson doesn't play for the rest of the year. Where if maybe he waited a few more months, had gotten the surgery earlier in the year, came back in late April, maybe even early April, depending, then maybe he can be back and do something for you in a late-season push. I just didn't see the logic behind playing him in a game in Week 5 didn't make sense to me, still doesn't make sense to me, and hopefully Cody is going to be okay, and the reports aren't as bad as they seem, and that we all see him back on the floor sometime soon. Because it would be a truly, true shame, a truly true shame, it would be a true shame if we didn't get a chance to see number 88 back out on a lacrosse floor. So we move on. There are some pretty big games this weekend in the National Lacrosse League. And if you're not excited, you might want to get your pulse checked. Because every game 
with how close this league is, is going to be a good one. And every game we continue to get really interesting matchups. Which makes it all the more exciting. Buffalo and Toronto, always good. It's in Toronto. Buffalo's 1-3. and three. They're going to be a very pissed off lacrosse team going in to Toronto. Take on their arch rivals. It's going to be a boisterous crowd. Tons of bandit land. Going to be coming across the border. Traveling up the QEW. And it's going to be a fun environment inside. And, you know, Toronto's in a, in a big spot here. They can create some separation between them and the Black Wolves a bit. And the Bandits. If they can go two full games up this early in the season, it will be a huge boost for that team's morale. The loss last weekend to Rochester was something they would like to think about or to forget about. And if they can put that all behind them with a win against Buffalo, that's huge. But something about this Buffalo Bandit squad kind of scares me going into Toronto. And I have a feeling they're going to come in and play a little bandit ball. Try to make it grimy and dirty in the corners and come away with a victory. The other game on Friday night is another great Eastern battle. Rochester at New England. The two Wolfpacks, I guess, going at it. The Black Wolves and the Nighthawks. The Nighthawks like to use the one Wolfpack kind of mentality as well. But this one's in the casino where last week it was sold out. And we'll see what happens this week. Is there a big drop-off in attendance? They won last weekend. That's always great for the home fans in your home opener to see. Will a lot of those fans come back? But again, this is a big game for both clubs. Rochester wins. They get some distance sitting in that third seed. If New England wins, they get right back into the thick of things. I like the Black Wolves to win that game. Um, without Cody Jamison, I know it's going to be tough. Even if Dan Dawson's back and, and 100 to go, I just think New England's a better lacrosse, lacrosse club. And I think they come away with the victory. Saturday night, the Prairie Battle. I almost call it the Battle of Alberta. It's not anymore. It's the Prairie Battle. Flatland City. Saskatchewan. Why do I say it like that? Saskatchewan at Calgary. And I really think the Roughnecks win this game. I think Frankie Shiliano is playing some fantastic lacrosse. Um, he may not get the nods, but you know he's an early season candidate for MVP of what he's doing in between the pipes. And you heard Jeff Shatler talk about it. That first game, there was a lot of nerves on that Calgary Roughnecks roster, especially between the pipes with young Christian Del Bianco. He didn't have the greatest debut. And so if they can continue this upward trend, Frankie has to be considered as an MVP. And I just like Calgary at home against the Rush. It's it's something that they've always sort of had success with is beating Saskatchewan slash Edmonton at home. 
It hasn't happened in a while, but I think this is the year that kind of turns it around. And then finally, Georgia at Colorado. I'll have this call on Altitude and NLL TV. And it's the high-flying swarm. Who would have thought at 4-0 taking on the Colorado Mammoth in Colorado? Georgia's gone 18-18-14-14 and 14 in goals four. They're not giving up very many. They're scoring a ton. And they continue to impress all over the floor from Mike Poulin on out. The most they've given up in a game is 14. That was to Buffalo. But they continue to pump out the numbers. And Lyle Thompson leads the way 25 points. He's tied with Jordan Hall. Randy Stats is just three points back of them. This is a team that scores by committee. And there's no one superstar. And if Colorado's not ready from the jump, if they have another one of their sort of slow first quarters, it could be a very long night and quiet night inside the Loud House. You can guarantee Mike Poulin's going to start. I would imagine Dylan Ward's going to start, but having been pulled the last two games, um, it wouldn't surprise me if Alex Bouquet got the nod. But this is a huge game for the Mammoth. It's, it's, a, it's a massive game for the Swarm just to continue this hot streak. And you know what? I think if you asked them if they would be okay with 4-1 and one after six weeks in the start of the season, they'd be okay with that. They'd love to be 5-0. and oh. This is a franchise that's kind of wavered in mediocrity over the years. And to start 5-0 and oh would just be something that nobody ever expected. But as someone jokingly said on Twitter, oh, you mean the team with like eight first-rounders is first in the NLL? It makes sense. It's kind of like the Swarm or the Oilers of the NLL. All these draft picks, and it's finally starting to pay off. And it's true. John Arlotta, for all of his faults, somehow has put together a winning lacrosse club. And along with Eddie Como and Sean Ferris and Dan Latasur and the rest of their coaching staff have got this team playing a fantastic style of lacrosse. And they've all bought in. And I'm going to keep harking on it. They're doing it without Johnny Paulus and Jesse King. Big questions out of Colorado. Will Jeremy Noble be ready to play? Uh, he was just put back on the active roster. Zach Haywires was moved to the practice player roster list. Will we see John Grant Jr. make his return to the Mammoth lineup? All questions that, unfortunately, we're just going to have to wait and see as the week progresses. That's going to kind of do it for this week. Um, again, being Tuesday, we don't uh, know everything that's being looked at by the National Lacrosse League uh, Review Committee. Uh, Brian Lemon has been a busy man. But the big question that we're all going to have to keep our eyes out for is the, the email will come out sometime Thursday, but what will the NLL do with the match penalty to Greg Harnett? Because if they uphold it, he now misses a third of the season. Just boggles my mind. But the new NLL, man, it is the new NLL. 
player safety comes first. The league is serious about it. They're ruling with an iron fist. They're being steadfast and strong in their ways. And if it's the way it's going to be across the board, then everyone's going to have to adjust. Because I just don't know if they go against their own referee in this case. It'll be interesting to see. Um, Four games this weekend, as I just mentioned, all four of them. Two on Friday night, two on Saturday night. All games available on NLL TV. Go there, check it out. There's an interview with the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, um, talking about expansion and attendance. Nothing new comes out of this interview. Again, he can't divulge any information, but if you want to kind of get caught up to date on everything that he's been doing, uh, you can go to NLL TV and read that. And there we go. It's another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud. I'm Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Always love hearing from the fans. Always love getting your feedback. Always willing to talk. So if you need somebody to talk to, get a hold of me anytime. Until next time, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other. A life upon the road is a life of an hour.